I'm very excited and looking forward to God being able to speak to us through his word. I'm confident in his word, knowing that his word never goes out void. And so we're going to trust in that. If you have your Bibles, please stand. If you're at home, please stand and pray with me as I pray. My heavenly father, I thank you, Lord, and praise you, God, for who you are. You're a good God. You're a holy God. You're a righteous God, Father, and we need you. We need you, Father, to open up your word to us and speak to us, God. We're in need of this, this hour, Father. Speak to us in a mighty way, God. Forgive me of all my sins. I love you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And I want you to have the mindset that God is wanting to speak to you. If we look at 2 Timothy 3.16, it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So if we come to God's word knowing that God has inspired his word to give us, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and also instructions in righteousness. So go with that mindset into God's word that God wants to help you. God wants to speak to you. I'll tell you a brief story on how this came about. Uh, when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, um, I would come across um, uh, my, my, my father, my, my grandparents, maybe some uncles, and I would see them working on stuff, and I would see them uh, doing stuff, and I would think in my head, how do they know what to do? How do they know how to fix this or build this? Or how could they look at something? Um, my dad was great about even being able to smell a car and knowing how it, how it was running. And I always thought as a kid, I mean, how do you know these things? How, do you, how are you able to do these things? And as I, I got older, I realized that they knew these things based on experience. Uh, they would do things and uh, they would learn things and they would gain experience. And growing up in the 90s, there was this phrase that was uh, circling around. And you would ask somebody um, who was a little bit older than you, you know, how you learned that. And they would say, the school of the hard knocks. And I would think, man, what does that even mean, the school of the hard knocks? And so I looked it up, you know, and, and I would look at it. Okay, it's because they've been through some things and, and they've seen some things and they've had some good experiences and some bad experiences and they learn from it. Hard knocks means an unsparing, unsparing treatment, a difficult or painful experiences or circumstances. So I looked at my, my parents and um, my, my uncles and, and I would see them and some of the old timers and I would think, man, they just know everything. But it was based on experience. Things they had seen, things they had went through. And I remember um, as a kid, um, I remember going into movie stores and you could rent movies. And then they was allowing you to rent video games. And I thought that was amazing. And uh, I was going to go to um, the video store and I asked my dad if he could uh, rent this video game for me. And, and my dad told me this, this awful thing and he said, no. And boy, I thought my life was over. I thought, man, my dad told me no, and I'm not going to be able to have that. And my dad was looking at me like, son, what is wrong with you? But to me at that moment, I thought, man, that was the worst thing ever. And my dad was like, son, what is wrong with you? It's a video game. But in my world, I thought it was just falling apart. And so I learned that 
our different experiences, our different sufferings. And if you look at 1 Peter chapter number 4, verses 12 through 19, we'll read them first. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as murderers, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other man's matters. Yet if any man suffer as Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly, the sinner, appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Now, in context, these um, individuals would have been facing some really serious persecution, some really serious sufferings. But I begin to think, you know, we all have our sufferings in life. We all have these things that, that are going on. And as I told the story, when I was a kid, I thought I was suffering because I didn't get a video game. But as my dad was looking at me, someone with experience understanding, hey, son, that's not a big deal because he had been through a lot of things. But as, as we're hearing this and as we're thinking about our own life, we can think about our own sufferings. And in this there's some amazing things that I hope will help you with your current sufferings and maybe be able to look back on some past sufferings and then be able to help you in your future sufferings. Now, to understand, there's a reason for our quote unquote hard knocks. But Peter does an amazing thing here in verse 12. He says, beloved. He almost reminds them, hey, beloved. If you if you go back to Matthew 317 and uh, Matthew 17, five, it is the same title that God gave Jesus, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And because us being a child of God, we inherit that. And Peter was reminding them, you're beloved. I don't know about you, but sometimes, man, that's good. Although I know it. And although I've been told it, but it's good sometimes to remind ourselves that you are beloved. And this word beloved means esteemed, worthy of love, those who are greatly loved. So before he goes into talking about their fiery trial, he reminds them, child of God, you are loved. And if there's one advice I could give you right now, child of God, if you're going through something, you are loved. And he goes on, he says, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as them, though some strange thing happening unto you. He says it uh, twice. He says, don't be surprised about this thing coming on you. 
as some strange thing, understanding that we are going to go through our different sufferings in life. And yes, their suffering was was actual persecution. They were going through things. But we all have those things that we can relate. Remember, the word of God is given for inspiration from God for instruction. So God is allowing us to reflect. He was telling them, you beloved people, this thing you're going through, don't be surprised about this trial that you're going through. It is here to test you. Please do not allow our circumstances and how we how we how we feel to give us this picture of God as if God is in it to get us. That God wants to get us. Don't allow that. If you want to get a clear picture of God, look at the cross and see that love. Look at him. And that's where our picture of love comes from. But so many times we have this mindset, God's out to get me. God's out to get me. No, he's not. Beloved, you are loved by God. He says, think it not strange. He says this fiery trial is to try you or to test you. Peter says this thing twice. Don't be surprised about it. His point is Christians should expect to go through hardships. And everybody's hardship looks different. Everybody's sufferings look different. But to me and to you, they're real. So we should expect those hardships. Even Jesus tells us, if you turn to uh, John 16, 33, Jesus tells us this in John 16, 33. It says, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So Jesus himself tells us that to expect hardships. But he also tells us that we can have peace in him. Why? Because he has overcome the world. So many times our eyes are zeroed in on our sufferings and our hardships because they're real. But child of God, you can have peace through Jesus Christ knowing he has overcome that. He has overcome those things. Beloved. Beloved. Then he goes on and he tells us, but rejoice. Easier said than done. But do you know that in those times of your hardships, your times of sufferings, when you step out by faith and rejoice, even when you don't feel like rejoicing or this hardship is just too much, I don't even want to. When you rejoice in that, God sees that faith. Remember, these trials are to try our faith. And he says to rejoice in those things because those things are to test us, to try us. And if you go back to the first part of first Peter, verse number seven, it tells us that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So he tells us back at the first part of first Peter that it's going to be tried. And that our, our, our faith in us is even more precious 
than even gold itself. We look at the, uh, everything is compared by the gold standard. But he says, we're much more precious than that. Whenever you purify gold, you heat it up to get those impurities. And in our trials, in our sufferings, sometimes God heats us up to purify us, to make us more like him. And in that, you've got a witness. When you're rejoicing through your fiery trials, you are a witness. Jesus tells us to be the light of the world. What what a great time to be that light when you're going through those trials and you're being tested to allow that light to shine. Shine, baby, shine. Allow it to shine. The hardships test the genuineness of, of our faith. Man, so many times I can say I believe. But it's those times whenever my faith is put to the test. Whenever it's put to the test and people can see me living out my faith, it's easy for me to say, trust the Lord. But we've got to live that out in the midst of our hardship and our trial. He says to rejoice. And this word rejoice means to be full of cheer. To be full of cheer. That means whatever your hardship. And remember, in the context of this scripture, they were facing some real persecution, some real um, um, life or death situations. And he was saying to rejoice in that. Same thing applies to us to rejoice in those things. Well, the question is, many will ask, well, how can we rejoice in those things? How can we? Well, first of all, if you look, it says, but rejoice in verse 13, but rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. So the first way we can rejoice is by understanding the future glory with Christ. Understanding that, yes, things are really bad sometimes, but there's coming a day when we stand before a holy, righteous God and we're in the presence of Jesus and although these sufferings were real and they, were, they, they hurt, we'll stand before him and we'll be in his glory. This word of glory is, is splendor and brightness. Think about the moon and the sun and the stars and the brightness of that. We'll be in his glory. But also, I begin to think, we can also rejoice whenever we're going through these trials and the word glory is, is talking about splendor or brightness. So if we're rejoicing in our trials, in our hardships, then we're glorying with Christ, with God, and there's a brightness that comes about us because we're being that light. We're showing people that we're, just, we're, we're not just saying it, we're doing it. So even in your fiery trial, your hardship, you can glory knowing that you're rejoicing and your light is shining and you could be helping somebody and you are helping somebody. Do you know there's people watching us whenever we're going through our fiery trials and our hardship just to see how we'll react? And so many times, man, Christians, and I say Christians, me too, Man, something hits. I got my shoulders down. I'm pouting. I'm mad at the world where I should be rejoicing in the fact that God is testing and trying my faith. 
Tell me something. In your trial, in your sufferings, would an unbeliever want the God that you have? In your fiery trial, in your hardships, in your sufferings, would people want that Jesus that you have, that you claim? That's convicting. Right. Me too. Man, how many times have I <laughs> pooch mouth, pouting, why me? Instead of saying, God, I don't know why. I don't understand it. But I'm going to rejoice because you're trying and testing my faith. So he goes on to talking about the glory of Christ. Some of us are a couple steps away. Some of us a couple of miles away. Some of us several years away. But we're getting closer and closer. But just because we're getting closer and closer does not mean we should stop rejoicing in the Lord. Never think that I've gotten to an age to where God couldn't use me. Or never think that I'm too young that God couldn't use you. Whatever God can use and God can put it for his glory and bring people to Christ by your fiery trial. By your hardship, by your suffering. But it's on us to choose whether we're going to rejoice and be full of cheer. And then secondly, of course, is understanding the very real presence of the Holy Spirit. We can rejoice in knowing that the Holy Spirit is there to comfort us. Even in those times where we just don't know how to do it, how to push on, how to keep doing it, the Holy Spirit is there to strengthen us. Understand that life is not a pain, but more like a school. Life is teaching you things. And to understand that the more we have learned about God and the more we put our faith and trust in God, the more we learn about Him. So these trials, these, these hardships, these sufferings, the more you go through them and the more you rely on God and the more you rejoice in God, the more you'll see God put you through it. And then you'll have more confidence in that God, in our God. Understanding the Holy Spirit. In verse number 14, we can rejoice in that. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Why? For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. The Holy Spirit is a real person dwelling inside of you to give you that comfort, to give you that strength. Second Timothy 1 7 tells us, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love of sound mind. That's what the Holy Spirit, he's there to give us strength. Fear? No. He's there to give us assurance and confidence. If you look at the fruits of the Spirit, it is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. These are the fruits of the Spirit. This is what the uh, Holy Spirit gives to you. He doesn't give you the spirit of fear. So when fear comes in your mind, which it does... That is not of God, of those circumstances. Now, there's a righteous fear. There's a reverence of God. But that fear and that anxiety, that is not of God. But we see the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, all these things. This is what the Holy Spirit. So we can rejoice in that. 
My question to me and to you, man, are we rejoicing? Are we rejoicing in our sufferings? Are we rejoicing in those hardships? Understanding that, man, God's trying my faith. God's refining me. Are we rejoicing? And then we go on that there's a reason behind it. We have a reward, which is, which is heaven and the Holy Spirit and that power. And then we also, during these times, we also need to have a consideration or a reflection. Man, I don't know about you, but I do a lot of reflecting on my life. And a lot of times I just shake my head like, man, when I reflect on so many different things, I just, man, I shake my head like, Jason, really? You did that or you didn't do this or you thought this. But in our trials and even in our hardships from times past, I can look at things that have happened in my life many years ago and even question why. And then it was, it sometimes would have been years later, I'm reflecting back on it. That's the reason why. That's the reason why. Or oh, that was the purpose. And it's, it's a time for us to have a personal reflection. And a lot of times my suffering has been, and I pray to God that in the future it, it will have lessened. But a lot of times my sufferings have been self-inflicted sufferings. It has been things that I have did that caused my sufferings. And he tells us this. He says in verse 15, but let none of you suffer as murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. So he, he's laying these things out. If you suffer for those things, then that's, that's on you. Man, how many times has that been just on me? My suffering has been because of me. So we, we reflect on, is my suffering because of my decisions. But then also we go and, and we look and is our suffering related for our stand for Christ? And in those, if we are suffering for the cause of Christ or we are suffering something that can bring glory to God or bring somebody to salvation, we should thank God for it. If we are going through things and we're suffering through things, and it can be mental, physical, spiritually, all these things. It can be family members, it can be jobs, anything. If those things are, first of all, bringing you closer to God, and then also bringing other people to God, then we should thank God for it. He says in verse 16, yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. You see, if we are serving God and, and we're going through the sufferings of life and life has many ups and downs, it's life. But you're serving God and, and uh, you're, you're serving him and you're, and you're where you need to be and you're still suffering, but you're suffering for his sake and it's bringing glory to him and bringing glory for other people to see and then praise God, thank God for it. Rejoice, be of good cheer, full of cheer. And 
in these reflections and as we take time to reflect, understand that there are different consequences for not remaining faithful during these times. The Bible tells us that for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. This word judgment is the severe trial which would determine character, a time to test the value of that which was professed. Mm. God's just seeing if you're real or not. He says the time has come that that judgment must begin at the house of God. This word house is the dwelling place of God. And if you're saved, born again, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. So the house of God is talking to Christians also. It's the dwelling place of God. Many times we're like, man, I just wish, I just hope that this, this whole nation would, would change and, and, and those people would get right. When in reality, Christians need to get right with God. It begins with us. How can we expect others to change whenever the house of God needs to change? And through these last several weeks, we've been able to see People rededicate their life. People get saved. Why? Because we're noticing the, all these different things. The beginning judgment starts at the house of God. God does not want lukewarm Christianity. God does not want somebody straddling the fence. God wants people that are sold out for him, and God wants that. But too many times, we're so willing to point the finger, when in reality, we should be looking at ourselves. Man, if someone has done a lot of reflecting, it's been me and I hope it's been you also. Reflecting on so many things that I thought were right or even things that I knew that wasn't right and still not ready to address it and things were brought up and you need to address it. You need to fix it. But the judgment starts at the house of God. It starts here. And then it says, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous, in verse 18, scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Man. So if the, if the Christian goes through these sufferings, goes through these hardships, Man, it makes you, but he says, what will happen to those that aren't saved? Those that are unbelievers? Well, they'll face the same things that you face as far as life. They'll go through the hardships. They'll go through the trials, but their eternal punishment has been delayed. And what's sad is that someone who was an unbeliever will stand before an almighty God and see the wrath of God. As a unbeliever, hearing this should make you tremble, but as a Christian, it should break your heart. Knowing that there are people, maybe your family members, maybe your co-workers, that do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they will one day face the wrath of God. That should Make us weep and knowing that we all know people 
that do not know Christ. And they're, they're facing the same things right now, but one day they'll face the ultimate wrath of God on their life. That should burden us. What are we doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? To understand that in these times, there's a reason for it. There's a reward, which is heaven and the Holy Spirit and and having the glory of God in your life. And then there's reflection in it, reflecting, considering what's going on. And then lastly, we see that during these times, there needs to be uh, a time where you recognize and you remind yourself and remember that God is in control. You see, during these times, we need to commit ourselves to God. He tells us that in verse 19, wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit. This word commit, it means to place alongside. And by implication, it means to, to uh, for a trust, for a deposit. So he's saying to trust, to deposit yourself to God, knowing that God will protect you and God will provide. He says to commit the keeping of their souls. Your souls is your life, is your breath, is your actual life itself. He's saying to commit, to give to God that life of yours. Trust in him. Why? Because he goes on to say, as unto a faithful creator. He establishes God in his character as being faithful. And then also he establishes God as being the creator. But then he also states that whenever we're committing ourselves to God, giving our life to God and trusting in him. It says in well doing to continue to do good, to continue to do what's right in well doing. Well doing is a course of right action. So he's saying that whenever you're going through these trials, you're going through these things, he's testing you, he's making you, and then judgment begins with us. We need to get right, go through these things, and put our trust and full trust into God and continue to do what's right. Why? Because God is the faithful creator. We both commit ourselves to God and to continue to do what's right because God is able to be trusted. People want to and people need to see a difference in our lives. They need to see it. We're at a time where they need to see it. Now, we saw why do Christians suffer? Well, sometimes it's sinful choices. And in my life, that has been a lot of, a lot of times, my sinful choices. Also, God's allowing these sufferings for a purpose. I want you to hear this. Hebrews 5.8. Hebrews 5.8. Though he were a son, talking about Jesus, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. So he's stating that Jesus learned obedience by the things which he suffered. You're thinking Jesus, he had an earthly part too. And through his sufferings, he learned that God was able, that God could be trusted. He learned these things. Hebrews 5, 8, though he were a son, yet he learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Also, we suffer to strengthen the believers through our problems. 
Understand that nothing just happens. Nothing just happens to a child of God. So many times it reveals the actual presence of God in your life. There is something about walking the road. There's something about going through those things and seeing God be faithful. Walking that road of circumstances, walking that road of suffering, walking those ro- that road of trials, and then seeing God be faithful over and over again. And you've got a generation behind you that's watching you walking that road. There's something about those, those trials that strengthen not only you, but other people in watching you. So we see Christian. In our trials, there's a reason behind it. There's a reward. There's a time of reflection. And we also got to remember that God is in control. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was reading this, my, my first question was, and I wrote it down, you know, what's going to happen to the ungodly? I know what's going to happen, but that, that, that thought was going in my head. And I'm here to tell you, if you were watching this today, whether you watched it uh, on Wednesday night or you logged on later on, I'm here to tell you that your sin, if you're unsaved, your sin has separated you from God. You're separated from God. And because of your separation, you cannot go back to the Father except through the man Jesus Christ. This is why he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him, but through him, through Jesus Christ. Listen, if you've never put your faith and trust in God, he loved you enough and Jesus Christ was sent to live a perfect, sinless life and then to put on, be, be hung on a cross and die for my sins and die for your sins. And then, praise God, he resurrected three days later, proving that his sacrifice was enough. The Bible tells us that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The Bible says that God wants you, and if God is drawing you, all you have to do is approach God and tell him, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner, I'm separated from God, and I want to put my faith and my trust in Jesus, forgive me of my sins, ask him to save you, and God will save you through Jesus Christ. Now, child of God, are we rejoicing are we rejoicing in our, in our trials? Are we rejoicing knowing there's a bigger picture? I'm going to leave you with this verse. It's an amazing verse. Psalms 37, 25 says, I have been young and now I am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaking, nor his seed begging for bread. Praise God. He tells us in the New Testament, he would never leave us nor forsake us. All those those sufferings are real and, and, and they're alive. God wants you to get peace. God wants you to get rest. And in the middle of your storm, we sing that song, sing a little louder. Praise a little louder. Rejoice in him. Use this time of invitation. 
Reflect on those things of God. Remember God's in control. Remember there's a reward and there's a, there's a real Holy Spirit. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he wants you. Confess him as Lord. Call out to the Father. Ask him to forgive you. Believe on Jesus Christ. Trust in him and ask him to save you and he will save you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you, God. I praise you, God, for being so good to us. Father, use this word. Use your word, God. Speak to your people and also speak to those that are lost. Draw them to you, God. I love you and I thank you for everything. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.